Hey, you're listening to the Big Breakdown Podcast with Chris Stafford and Harrison Marshall. Take it away, fellas. Hello and welcome along to Season 4 of the Big Breakdown Podcast, where in this season we are looking at talent development and today we are looking at technical and tactical skills. Uh, Harrison, we've got a brilliant episode coming up. Um, sort of end our three episode bit on sort of overlaying with knowledge of some of the three key areas of uh, the talent development pathway. Yes, yeah, I think it's um, uh, it's been a very intriguing and cracking start to start to the season uh, on on the podcast, and uh, you know I think we we set the scene quite nicely with with what's to come, um, and I think today will will give us the final jigsaw of that of that puzzle before we start talking to you know some some real you know class coaches around how they actually begin implementing it in their in their own environment so yeah look i'm i'm eager i can't wait for this can't wait for this chat i think there's a i'm going to learn loads i've already written half a notebook on on everything we've on everything um we've learned so far on the podcast this season and we're only three episodes in yeah, there's, there's been a lot, and I think there's, there'll hopefully be a lot of stuff that we cover in this episode that sort of aligns to the, the previous few that we've had as well. I think we'll be covering a lot lot today looking at sort of what it looks like on the grass. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of the, the side stuff, now we're looking at what it looks like when we get on the field and, and how we can really develop these these these, these players as, as rugby players. Um, so today we are joined by Russell Earnshaw. Uh, Rusty, a former Premiership player, Represented West Hartlepool, Bath, and Rotherham, successfully winning the European Cup with Bath. In 1998, Russell joined the England Sevens in the Commonwealth Games and was selected to play for the Barbarians in their match against Germany in, in 2000. In 2007, Rusty moved into coaching, working with Birmingham and Solihull, England Sevens, GB students, and England Under 18s women. Then moved into the men's pathway, coaching England Under 18s and Under 20s. In 2018, Rusty teamed up with John Fletcher to create the Magic Academy, which aims to help coaches create better experiences for themselves and their players. Rusty joins us today to discuss coaching technical and tactical skills within the player development pathway. Rusty, how are you? I'm good, Chris and Harrison. Thanks for having me. Chris, great of you to tidy up your uh, your room in order for me to be on. I love the fact you've just thrown all those bibs in the corner and there's a couple of uh, balls that aren't blown up. Yeah, they, they need, uh, the bibs need washing. Uh, there's some water bottles down there as well, and then balls definitely are for the bin. Oh, unless one wants some uh, balls with no grip on for, for their training, more welcome to come and pick them up. <laughs> it was a kid to go away. Um, so, cheers for coming on, Mercy. What, what, um, what we've looked at sort of so far is we've looked at athletic development, we've looked at um, psychosocial behavioural stuff, and this is sort of the last in the, the three-bit series before we look at what it looks like in actual environments so of um, looking at on-field stuff now, so that technical and, and t- tactical sort of side of the game for, for sort of the, the time development pathway and that grassroots coach. Um, I suppose sort of out uh, kicking this off really, sort of, can you just sort of maybe give a, what do we mean by these things? Because the, the, there are words that coaches use a lot of, but actually, you know, what do we mean by technical, tactical, and, and, and how do we, how can we easily bring them to life within, um, within coaching? That's a good question, isn't it? Um, and I guess, um, well, just just quickly, so some stuff that's probably helpful, like I played professional sport and didn't enjoy it. So I didn't enjoy being told what to do. So like, disclaimer, 
I'm probably going to like, that's, that's definitely influenced uh, my coaching. Second thing, um, um, I played sevens, I coach sevens. I think it has huge influence on your relationship with some of the stuff you're talking about. So I think it creates, I think there's more possibility in the game than currently exists uh, from a technical point of view and a tactical point of view. Um, and then probably thirdly, uh, the day I lost my job at the RFU, I vowed never to like just do stuff the same as everyone else. So public warning on anything I say is that like, that's probably my context. Um, so I just put a clip on Twitter yesterday. I'll probably start with a story um, of a way of two, two clips I've just put on Twitter. One was I'm watching a game in the Pro D and there's a guy who was kicking the ball from nine, um, like a karate kick. Um, but actually it was like, it was really well disguised. It was really effective and it probably went from hands to space quicker than like, let's call it a box kick. So uh, I think it's actions and, and I guess the word technical and perfect model and all that stuff get like um, stuck together a lot. Um, and then the second clip I put on was uh, 2015 World Cup final, which I was lucky enough to be at. There is a clip where uh, the uh, <coughs> Kiwi hooker gets the ball in his hands and Marnonu is making a line break eight seconds later. So like tactically, they are setting problems for the opposition. Australia actually aren't set defensively. They are set for attack because they thought it was their line out. So, um, so again, like, tactics is lots of things, but what I think what you've got to be thinking about, the way I think about it is like tactical warfare. So what are the problems you want to set the opposition that they're not like going to be able to deal with? And then I guess I then work back. So I start with tactical. So what are the, and, and, and what are the things that go into tactical? Like, well, obviously like the strengths of our team are really important. If Mar Nonu plays 12 or Russell Enshaw plays 12, we play two different ways because one of those two is just, you know, powerful and a good passer and a good kicker and the other one was me. Um, it's based probably a bit, a bit upon our identity as well. So like there's some teams that I feel have lost their tactical identity over time. Whereas if you were to say, you know, what the Saracens stand for, I think you'd have a pretty good idea. Albeit they are tactically evolving and moving the game on. If I told you, uh, you know, if I said the Harlequins, you would go, okay, they keep the ball alive. They're, you know, they, they entertain, um, you know, defensively there trying to force the opposition to have rooks so they can play off, you know, transition balls. So uh, I think the weather <clears throat> clearly influences tactics uh, in the in in this country. Um, you've got to be able to play in the wet and you've got to be able to play in the dry as like two very basic things. <clears throat> and then what I think, and then where I see like technical or actions fitting is they just come from that really. So for example, we want to play with a aggressive, uh, defensive formation that, traps the opposition into places they don't want to be trapped. Then we need to coach like some actions. And lots of those will be linked to scanning because like expertise is in the eyes. So understanding what to look for and how to look and, and then what to do is, is helpful. And I guess that becomes tactics when we're kind of seeing similar pictures. Uh, people will talk about shared mental models or shared affordances or whatever the language is. But for me, it's like, Oh, you know, if I was to get, 
you know, uh, Chris and Harrison to both close your eyes and say, right, Harrison, what's Chris seen? You would hopefully see similar stuff. Um, so I guess that's probably what I think about. I don't, um, when you asked me the definitions, I got stressed. Because I thought, oh my God, he's going to like, it needs to be Oxford English Dictionary. And, um, why, what do you think? Thinking of that fire alarm just really scared me. It was an alarm for uh, unclean kit roots. Am <laughs> uh, I going to have to run here? That might be a little <laughs> awkward. Um, I think you've touched on some really good points. Like, I think that, that's sort of what the... The discussion is that we, we want to talk about me and Harrison have, we've, we've spoke about a lot me being here in sort of the the university environment and we get a lot of players that come in at 18s that are in terms of skills or catch pass the the, the the skill levels really really high but actually what they tend to lack sometimes is that understanding of how to use the tools that they've been given to actually win a game of rugby and I'm not saying that means that we need to have winning as an, an option, but actually just little things of relieving pressure. How do we do that? And and that's sort of what what um, what we look what, what we look around more tactical understanding, game understanding. So they've got the skills, but actually, how are they putting them into practice to, to 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 play the game effectively? Because that is sort of the big jump from, especially if you're moving up to like Book Super Rugby as an example. You know, there's the the, the a lot of the teams are quite structured in how they want to play linked to what you've said there you know the players that they've got their identity that they want and you can kind of predict how each team's going to play but actually sometimes players struggle with that because they've got the skills but they don't understand the, how to use them if that makes sense yeah there's, I mean, again you've set me off on loads of things um like the first thing being um and people can uh, have their view on this, but I, but I think cards is really helpful for me. So creativity, awareness, resilience, decision-making, self-organizing. I think that is vital in all of this. So we're going to clearly talk about how you then coach this stuff. So if C stands for creativity versus conformity, then I coach them completely differently. So unless I have clarity as a coach, I think what you're talking about is uh, with the closing out the game is, is awareness and decision-making, especially. So actually... If I have the ball one yard from my line and we're one point up and we're one point down, I make, if I'm aware, <laughs> I make two completely different decisions. Now, granted, France lost to Scotland, didn't they, in the Six Nations? Because they didn't kick a ball off the pitch and Scotland went on to win. And there's a recent video of a South African schoolboy game, wasn't there, where the guy kicked it out, yeah. celebrated, and everyone else, like... Um, realised that he didn't realise his team were losing, and he was the goal, and he was the kicker who just missed the last kick. But I guess, like, so when we start to talk about practice design, for me, it needs context. So it needs weather, time, score, because all of that stuff influences the stuff you're talking about. So they have the catch pass, but when and why? So at which point do I need to pass? At which point do I just need to get the ball off the pitch as quickly as possible? Um, I would suspect, like, on average, training I watch, and I watch a lot of training, would lack context, like, 95% of the time. It's interesting, one of the teams I work with, we've had an experiment around this, so Joe won't mind me saying, Joe Alabin Oynak, um, they're pretty um, I think he's just starting to realise, like, how important this stuff is. He's not starting to, but he's... So every single meeting... Every single session starts with um, scenarios. So even if they're inside, rook here, four attackers, 
we've we've only managed to get two on the blind side. It's last play of the game. Opposition need to score. Who thinks they can defend it? How are we going to defend it? You're not allowed to speak to each other before you do it. So that type of stuff that that and and for me, I guess what sits alongside why cards exist is I want skillful, adaptable players. So I think what you're saying to me is you've got some skillful players who sometimes can't adapt based upon either the picture in front or the score or the time. So how do we coach that? Well, we probably don't rub too much of the game out. So practice design is probably relatively close to the game. Granted, like if we just played 15 aside all the time, the fellas on the end wouldn't touch the ball that much. Um, uh, and we, yeah, we, we talk about context a lot. Well, what happens if, so creativity, what, what happens if the score was different? What happens if that lineup was 10 yards further out? Would that change anything? What happens if uh, Russell Earnshaw was playing 12 instead of Monon? Would we attack that space instead? Um, and I think a word that helps me think about all of this is dictating. So when I talk about tactics, like, are we dictating or are we being dictated to? So there's a great clip on Twitter, you might have seen it, of a guy running a short line off a ruck. And of course, like, everyone finds it really easy to structure defences and go, you stand here, you do this, you do, you know, and, and no one sees him because he's, like, broken the rules of attack, hasn't he? He's, like, secretly sneaking up. Um, so in order to have, like, skillful, adaptable players, we need to keep presenting different scenarios, different problems, but then the other bit is like the craft of coaching for me is like, so once we've set up, you know, really good problems in training, um, like how do we then coach? What are the coaching skills? Because I see lots of activities being run. So someone stood and I was with a hockey coach yesterday and he's, he's doing a, a brilliant job of this. And the other coaches, so there were every single one of them was stood in exactly the same place because it's quite a good place to stand, to oversee activity, to maybe go, okay, we're going in three, two, one, as opposed to coaching. Um, I've gone off on a few tangents there, so uh, <laughs> many apologies. No, I think, it, uh, no, I think it's very interesting what you said. There. I think one of the key words that, you know, really stuck out there and the key words that, you know, are, you're working in the talent, working in the development pathway myself, um, is that word um, being adaptable. I think our role as coaches is to create adaptable players because you know every environment they're ever going to go into is, is going to be different and and unique. And it's interesting there where you link it back to what well, are we dictating or being dictated to? Well, you know, we need those players to be adaptable, not just you know to different environments, but different systems that you might find yourself in. In, in the pitch, and I think that example, I, you know, I, I saw that clip on Twitter where you know, that lad run. You know, it's it, it's amazing how players, you know, because of like, the key skill. I think you mentioned at the start was scanning. You know, how scanning can be completely missed, and that's a big, big clog of of of, of being adaptable. You know, so if we're dealing with players in this in this pathway, I know you've given a couple of examples there around using scenarios. How would how are we looking to create players who are comfortable being adaptable but also trying different technical skills you know like the like the karate kick um uh, uh kick over the top i know it was, it was a great great bit of innovation but how do we how can we create an environment that's kind of safer and, and to enable players to try try to try these uh these innovative uh ideas without 
without feeling like there's massive success and failure if we are going with the scenario based scenario based session. Oh, I've written loads again. <laughs> Not easy, is it? You can't just go into A and B. Um, just some stories again. Um, well, if we think scanning is important, then why are defence coaches stood behind defenders? It's probably my first like, question. The reality is that team that was conceding, their defence coach probably spends a lot of time standing behind defence. It's definitely an option of, of a place to stand. I wouldn't be standing there that often. Um, I think sometimes you've got to signpost it. So it's interesting, isn't it? So you will get lads come into your environment that have been in other environments and have some norms around like, can we, you know, what's that? What's the power dynamic look like? Am I allowed to speak? Um, what happens if? So I think signposting pretty early on is critical, isn't it? So Fletch did it really well with England and the pathway. He would just go, look, I'm, I'm going to remember your three best picks from this camp, everyone. I'm going to delete everything else from my memory. We want you to try stuff. And sometimes people go, oh, wow. So again, I, I'll often, you know, working with kids in, in the pathway, go like, put your hand up if you've been banned from kicking. People, and again, like we've already reduced adaptability really quickly. Um, but one kid was my favourite one. He kind of half put his hand up and I said, oh, are you banned or not? He said, I've not been told, Rusty, but every time I kick, they shout at me. So I assume I am. Um, so you again, like it's your coach behaviours, isn't it? Which triggered me a lot. Like you've probably got to agree some of that stuff. How are we going to react to errors? Uh, we use Dan Hughes's model, pace model, playful, accepting, curious, empathetic. I'm really want to understand like what you saw there when you did that kick, or I'm really interested in like how you've come up with this way of kicking. Um, so coaches being like that, rather than I guess possibly a bit more um, judgmental, which I often see. Um, and, and I get that it's it's sometimes hard. And I'm not saying, like, I also understand, I'm not stupid, that, like, at certain times you want to win matches. So when Pendo comes on, he'll talk, you know, they want to win test matches in South Africa. That's helpful for young players to experience winning test matches, you know, and that is being adaptable. How do we work out a way to win, given these conditions, given the, you know, the challenge of South Africa, which they probably those kids probably don't get anywhere else. And that is like, that's that's also a part of this. So I'm, I'm not saying like we are, you know, we're trying all these magical tricks like every single day. But I think it's super important that, you you know, that it's it's on the agenda. It's interesting, Ollie um, Runswick just did a presentation out with England Women's Cricket and they interviewed the pathway. Um, I'm going to answer your question, by the way, Harrison. Um, <laughs> they interviewed the... Uh, the um, 84 of the pathway girls, so in the talent pathway with England women's cricket, and looked at a variety of things. One of the things was how much time they spent doing competition, training, free play. And the free play was the lowest he'd ever seen in any sport. So I also think, I mean, there's some schools you go to. So Brighton College is a good one. I know it, you know, from going down, spending time with Nick and Marcus and some of their other players, people are playing touch rugby at break time. Versus my son's school, there are signs saying no ball games. Um, so where do you develop some of those skills? Often away from coaches. Um, so we spoke, we did a world's best project after the 2015 World Cup and spoke to Conrad Smith, who played uh, touch three times a game, three times a day with his mates for 10 years, like that's a lot of touch. 
That's a lot of decisions, probably against some of the good players. Maybe some different ones turn up. Maybe it's not always the same kids. Maybe it's a slightly different game. Like he's he's having lots of opportunities, Chris, to you know to to, to put his catch pass into context, learn from it, get it wrong. No one's going to shout at him. I can't imagine any of the other kids kids banned him from kicking. I think it's unlikely. They might have the way. And so, yeah, and again, we're, we're, and the other thing, like the other strand it sent me off on as well is like, so we've talked there about like the technical stuff, but tactically, like if you want to be a really adaptable team, then there's this whole area of coaching when the ball is out of play. So in rugby, the ball is out of play for over 50% of the game. We have a half time as well. We have loads of opportunities to problem solve. Um, and more and more teams are becoming more and more intentional around that. I know, for example, Ulster are doing some real good stuff around this. Um, and so, like, the players being able to, like, get together. What's the problem? What's our solutions? What are we going to do about it? What's the most important thing? Boom. Sorted out is, is also, a, I guess, an area of coaching we've got to be good at. So how good is, you know, maybe reflect upon, you know, especially if we've got a coaching team, it might be helpful for one person to be responsible for, noticing and supporting players when the ball's out of play have been more adaptable. Um, probably, ta- you know, probably more likely tactically at that point when you've got time to think slow. Yeah, uh, oh, go on, Harrison. Go on. No, I was say, so how, how, do we, how would we do that then, Rusty? Because obviously, just sort of, if, if that, how could, sometimes getting the players to then communicate and then problem solve. How as coaches can we facilitate or encourage that to to grow and develop within their their, their environment? Um, so see that some players aren't going to be comfortable in that because that's going to link down to, I suppose, how much they're problem solving in training as well. But if this for the for a coach who's sort of listened to them and go, oh, that's a great idea. How how would you go about sort of starting to implement that within? Yeah, that's cool. I love the fact that that is definitely what people will be thinking because I'm I've gone on about twelve tangents so far. Um, so I think it's all options, isn't it? And I guess the, the cool thing for me is I'm in lots of environments. So first top tip to coaches, go and hang out with other coaches, coach with them, be an assistant, be a, you know, be a head coach, coach in loads of different environments, coach different sports. Maybe think about if you were going to be like a, a really good ball out of play coach, like what other sports does that exist in? So NFL is probably the most obvious one, isn't it? You actually got a stop clock on it. So so here's some stuff I'm thinking about. Um, so I think the, it, it all starts with practice design. So design good tactical problems for people. So let's take a, Harrison, let's imagine that you're playing against Chris's team. And I might have told Chris's team, look, mate, it's double points for a kick to score. Okay, and I might have told your team, Harrison, look, they've got a special way of scoring. By the way, I might not have told all this, but I'm I'll probably going for the easiest level of this game to start with. So the easiest level would, well, the easiest level would be I tell everyone everything. However, that's not the game. So I would say, look, Harrison, Chris's team have got double points to keep the score. Up to you to solve the problem. I might actually tell you the solution. That might even be an easier level, but I'm unlikely to do that. Um, I guess who I give information to as a coach is important, isn't it? So the game is trying to work out the opposition. What are they doing? Uh, Dictating to them. Um, Assuming you have the actions to do it, and I'll talk about I'll talk about Belgium hockey after this, um, and, and and probably bring this to life. Um, 
So I might tell your team, Chris, look, you double points for kicking. I'm not taking away other options, but I'm, I'm probably raising your awareness of another option. Um, I might then say, uh, Harrison, look, the, the other team have got a, a special way of scoring. If you work it out, um, then they remove it. So that could be a, a real simple way of you spotting it. Um, I might not allow you to remove it. Um, I might then go, and you've got, you've got two guesses. Now, again, I can simplify. You might be the best communicator, the best problem solver, Harrison. So I might say, and if Harrison tells me what it is, then so that's probably quite easy. Now, I might say, if five people put their hands up and stop the game, then we'll remove it from them. Now, that's the easy part. That's seeing what it is. Now, the harder part is actually doing something about it, isn't it? So, of course, I might start to do some practices where I give teams different information and I reward teams for collectively noticing what problem the opposition are giving them. Um, now, another way to keep a record of this might be used, I like using whiteboards. That might open up people who are less likely to speak. It might actually be that we start to keep a, a tactical record of what's gone on in the game today. So they, they started to kick, this is what we did about it. So people can maybe have some responsibility around writing that round. I might also extend the game and go, right, cool, now you've got the hang of this game. I'll tell Chris, like, Chris, your team, you're going to get a, you get a double point to score off a switch now. And this time I might say, Harrison, you need to demonstrate to me, your team needs to show me that you've worked it out and you've come up with a solution for it. Um, now, that's probably slightly harder. That's probably like the next level of the game, isn't it? I like levels. They help me a lot. Um, and there's probably a bit of scaffold around, like, players calling timeouts or players stopping the game. Sometimes they're not that used to that. My experience is the younger they are, the more likely they are to do it. Time out, Rusty, time out, Rusty. The older they are, there's, there might be a social dynamic. They might have been socialised out of ever calling huddles themselves, um, which, you know, if we all reflect upon, certainly in my early coaching career, how many huddles I called versus they called, it would be a landslide victory for me calling huddles, wouldn't it? Um, so probably some stuff there. Uh, I might want to help them. Uh, so a really good example of this. So at the Wellington Festival, similar stuff going on and um, similar activity. And it was a mixed group of players. So it was kids from different academies and a lad from Newcastle Falcons who was 15. You know, there's a, a classic schoolboy, you know, talent pathway huddle. Everyone's speaking, no one's listening. Um, some people aren't even, you know, and it's so much information. And one of the kids goes, hang on, okay, everyone, just, just take a step in if you can hear me. Everyone takes a step in. Okay. So what I think I've heard is that we're going to do this and this. And probably like, like if we were to think about scoring it, we would probably score this and this. Everyone cool with that? Everyone? Yep, cool. Awesome, let's go. And the coaches were like, what just happened? Like, well, of course, like I say to McNulty, and he's like, understands that those are really important. Let's call them uh, technical skills, but they're skills that are required to be an adaptable player. And of course, so also is listening. So we would do a lot of, and again, think about how you feed back to this. So a couple of options with this might be um, grown-ups stand on the outside, listening to the huddle and share the best stuff. Or the, you know, So we've done it and call it, you call it like a goldfish bowl where I might go, look, I love, like, you know, I was listening into your problem-solving first. I thought, you know, you probably got your two key points across, but are you, are you sure that everyone understood it when they left the huddle? Like, could you 
So we might talk a bit about almost like the mechanics of the huddle. The other option is the teams watch other teams huddles. So you might, if you know that it's the switch and Harrison's team's called a huddle, you might listen into the huddle and actually go, oh, okay, they're pretty good at this and they've worked it out. Now, of course, you can then adapt it. So I do like this kind of tactical script of the session, like you did this, we solved it with this, we did this. And I think you can do that on an individual level as well. So I had a kid, um, um, Fast George. So George is, uh, uh, last week, uh, George is the quickest kid I've ever seen at that age. Um, so he would have some of the issues that come with speed, like he's not that strong at kicking. Um, and people, when they pass the ball to him, just stand and watch it because they assume he's going to score. So we basically went through that with George. So George is initially like getting the ball scoring. We help defenders understand how to defending, probably stand outside him. Cool, George now has a different problem, which he then has to kick. Um, we then start to talk about backfield and introduce some stuff that's going to help people with backfield. George now has, has to now think about, okay, well, maybe I move to another position on the pitch or how do I work in combination with other players, which essentially is stuff he's never had to do. I guess if you call all of that... Uh, uh, to technical stuff then then that's technical stuff and then the story that kind of brings this all to life for me is like so Belgian hockey so obviously do a bit of work in hockey they went to zonal four years before everyone else so they were tactically pioneering because don't forget like to do this stuff you can't just like how many times as a coach have we all gone I told them this week they were going to like they, the opposition were going to do this or if you imagine, you know, when Quinns won the premiership, like if you if you were playing Quinns that week, you, the, the, the B team probably got to be Quinns for 20 minutes max. And that was your only preparation. So if you were, no, you know, so if I pick out two contrasting styles, if you were Exeter, you probably only trained against Harlequins for 40 minutes that year. Most of your training is often against yourself. And the B team, when they try and be Quinns, they often get told off. Although Rob Vickerman did tell me, like, it gives you a superpower wearing the bib and being in the B team. You're suddenly in the Barbarians team, aren't you? We all know that. You've got Barbarian shirts. <laughs> you just don't know it. Um, so, and, and they won a, a Europeans Awards and Olympics because no one could catch up quickly enough. And you think about, in rugby, it's probably the All Blacks, isn't it? So what were they doing before everyone else? They were doing kick to score. So multiple kicking options. They had skillful forwards who integrated seamlessly with the backs in face play stuff. And, you know, and, and those things like got them ahead of people for a period of time. We then went through a phase of like set piece, kick, aerial contest. So South Africa, no one could tactically deal with that. And that suited the South African players. Now, there is no point coaching South Africa if you haven't got a lot of beef in your forwards and a good kicking 10 and some, some good aerial wingers. Lots of people did, by the way, and they finished in the middle of competitions or maybe down near the bottom. Um, and I guess like people are always trying to think, well, what's the next tactical innovation? And I guess what are then the skills that are needed with it? Um, transitions, really. You know, everyone's talking about transition at the moment, aren't they? Like scoring off turnover, more likely to score, you know, one phase or less, really. So... So coaching the jackal is like, as it becomes harder and harder to turn the ball over, like the Jack Willis is the Ben Earls of this world. They are 
their skill sets really high value. A long answer to a short question. Yeah. No, I think um well I think once again there's lots of uh kind of key, key threads in there. Actually, a lot of it, uh, some of it reminds me of a uh, conversation we had with um, Mark Bennett last year around um, you know, trying to create you know, different tactical problems for the players to solve themselves. And actually, it's it, a lot of that got, got me thinking of you know, the environments that I, that I work in and actually which players in my head now would actually be brave enough to stand up and um, after a timeout and call their own, um, you know, kind of call their own huddle. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of, um, there's quite a couple of good ideas in there that are probably, you know. Yeah, and again, <laughs> like, we're, we're talking about on the pitch, but there's a lot of off-pitch work here as well, isn't there? There's, like, as coaches, we're often on the pitch, but, like, there's stuff we do to prime the session. So we might, you know, we might send them the scenarios in advance of the session. We might go, look, in today's session, we're going to play out five of these ten tactical problems. That might help people, might it? We might actually pull in a group of players who are, who we want to develop their skills around this. We might actually pull in the three or four players that are, that are preventing other players from developing these skills and actually like go, look, we'd love you to ask questions today. <clears throat> we did a really nice piece of work, and I won't mention the name, but he's, he's playing in the Prem at the moment in the fly half and looked at his language as to whether it was generally like positive, negative, or productive, unproductive, and whether it was like a question or, or tell. And it was predominantly negative tell. And so that was potentially getting in the way of, you know, like you said, Harrison, like some people in that environment with that player on the, in your team might not have wanted to do that, which again links us to like how we pick teams is important, isn't it? Like in training, like yeah. it's, it's an option we have as a coach, but I quite like putting together all the people that like moan and argue with each other. It's probably better for everyone else, to be honest. And then we get a, you know, we can give them some feedback. Oh, but that's but that's kind of problem solving within 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 itself, isn't it? You know, I know it's it's especially when you're dealing with you know teenagers. The fallback is often it's easier to fall back to the negatives and start pointing, kind of kind of kind of pointing fingers. Um, and actually, I, I, I quite like that as an idea. I think once again, referencing back to the to Mark around, you know, he, he, one of the games that he kind of introduces to that I've that I've tried is, you know. You've got you play you play some you play play a game and then you've got thirty seconds to write down on a whiteboard you know what are the key tactical things that you're noticing from them and how and then come up with a plan and actually shortening that time made it really it, it, it puts the players under that pressure to right can they be key communicators as well within that um, and something that we've introduced this year is around and we introduce it in games as well as soon as as soon as the break in play it's right let's get everyone together and let's make a plan. And yeah, you know, you've, you've triggered me on two things. One is that Fletch often would say, you can't speak in the breaks. Yeah. So you have to talk while you're doing stuff. But also like the, the variable times around it, because it's also helpful to, to relate it to the game, isn't it? So like under the post, you have a minute. So we could start. So <clears throat> when I was last over at Oynac, we started a scenario with uh, kick, kick a goal um, on the touchline the team kicking a one point uh, down, uh, two minutes left. So the team under the post have to have a discussion around, well, hang on, if he gets this, we are, we're one down and we've got to think about that. If he doesn't, and then what, what's our tactics around kicking? And I think for me, it's like, um, it's the spirit of this more than anything. The reality is you're not going to cover every single scenario. 
So I do a bit of stuff for New Zealand Sevens and and uh, we lost in the semis of the Commonwealth Games in extra time to Fiji with five players on the pitch. So those players, many of whom have played a very large number of World Series events and Sevens matches, had never been in extra time against Fiji with five players on the pitch, having just defended for a minute with five. That is a scenario they would have never had in training, in their lives. And so for me, it's the spirit of like, actually like, how do we create, as we're, I guess we're talking about, skillful, adaptable players. You know, people can solve problems when, when it's really important and you might need to win a match. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I think a lot of the conversation we've spoken around so far is kind of this, probably more around the, the the tactical the tactical side. Now, in terms of you know relating it back relating it back to some of the the technical points, um, and might, we might delve into some you know, maybe some skill acquisition stuff here. Now, what uh, there's a lot of I know there's a lot of arguments out there around kind of the implicit explicit um, skill zones game zones. Is there What's kind of what kind of methods have really kind of worked worked for you in terms of honing skills? I mean, we're talking about generic skills. You, you you catch run, catch run pass. I know that you've mentioned briefly around you know, Comrade Smith going out and playing you know, lots, of, and that's how he's practicing you know, the affordances of what kind of passes he can throw. Um, but do you think just playing the games is the easiest way to do it, or can we break it out and go with a bit more of a block practice approach? Uh, they're both options, aren't they? So, yeah. like, well, um, there's probably there's probably lots in between as well. It's it's it's. I don't think I think we often as coaches we get we get slumbered into thinking one or the other, and one's right and one's wrong. Or you know, this is how I think levels. So level, levels helps me think about all of this. Yeah. So like, so let's let's take the tackle in rugby. Um, like hitting a tackle bag might be like, I don't know. Someone said to me today, it's level three, Rusty. Cool, what's level four? Well, level four is like, it's moving. Level five is, there's no tackle bag. Level, in a narrow space, level six is wider space. Level seven is more of a, you know, whatever. And it's different for different people, isn't it? Because like, someone who's good at tackling big fellas, like, actually, like, might be a little fellow who's good at, yeah. So for me, it's like, probably one of the things that helps me quickly I think about, and Fletch said this a lot in the pathway, was like, what's the one reason they're going to play for England and what's the one reason that's preventing them? So, like, that, that would help me, like, probably have a bit of clarity around, like, most important stuff. And I would be really strength-based, but I am also understand that if you are a small, skillful fly-off in the Premiership, you're going to have to make tackles. <laughs> like, and you might have to clear the odd rook, but not many. But, like, it's, you know, you, you need a minimum threshold. Um, I think people do their own learning. <clears throat> so um, I think it's, you know, like seeing, I was at this hockey session yesterday and seeing the under 12s run on the pitch and practice skills on their own was like exciting for me. And they were excited to get out there and practice stuff. <clears throat> I think, again, like if you need to refine something, then I like, you know, I like the idea of levels. I like old way, new way. Someone's been like doing, you know, they're kicking and they're falling backwards perhaps, and that's having impact upon like distance, then you might, you know, help them to understand that like following through is helpful, but also like go back to the old way so your brain can process the difference. Um, I like, 
rondo games because they give you lots of touches. So I'm a, a small number of games I play a lot. I play a lot of rondos. And what would I do? Well, I, if I want wider passes, I make it wider. If I if I want them to be introduced to contact, I probably Chris's try line three yards from my try line, so no one gets to run up. And and then again, we can increase the level of it. Levels helps me a lot to understand this. <clears throat> again, my bias. I think the kids should get to like 16, 17, 18 in rugby and they should be able to pass and kick off both feet. And I think that's perfectly plausible. However, I work with and have coached players who've been playing for 10 years and playing a lot, like academy, DPP, can't kick off either foot, can only pass off one hand. Predominantly because of their position and because, in my opinion, of coaches putting limitations on them. Rather than, you know, and <clears throat> clearly this podcast will be linked to, to lots of the psych stuff where people are well, I can't kick Rusty, I can't do this, I can't do that. So that's where levels and um, <clears throat> some, some mastery experiences, but also like the environment and peers is, is vitally important as well. Um, and so like, I get really agitated when I, you know, coach a 16-year-old who's been told they can't kick or... They're not allowed to kick or they can only kick off one foot because it is hard in my experience, especially if you haven't played kicking sports, to, to add that stuff later on. I think it's like super hard. It's not like, it's not easy, is it? Um, <clears throat> so I guess that's some of the stuff I'm thinking about. And when I say people do their own learning, generally I want people to go like, so if I was to go, look, here's today's session. Okay, Rusty, it would be awesome for me to see if I can get 20 left-handed effective left-handed passes in this session. Cool. And so people would have, in my world, people probably a whiteboard, put some challenges on, helps me because ultimately I'm, I get excited about coaching individuals. So some people, someone said to me yesterday, I'll get like, get quite bored with doing the same sessions. So I would play a small number of games. There would be different levels of the games, but what would excite me would be coaching the individual. Because ultimately that's what a talent path is, by the way. So the tactic stuff is cool, and the tactic stuff comes in later, in my opinion, that you can be at uni, be at a club, be at an international, you find ways to win games. But if you're working in a talent pathway, your job is to help people be individually better at rugby. And I will take the head nod, Chris, as affirmation on that. Now, that is also, that's not just individual. That's like, okay, how can I play well with Harrison? How can I play well with Chris? Like... They are like super important, aren't they? Um, so, um, <clears throat> so the individual stuff is vital. And for me, I would like have it uh, that they set their own challenges and training, ideally. I, I prefer interactions from them to me rather than me to them. And then, of course, it's my gift or my option as a coach to be able to go, hang on a second, like Chris, like, come on, mate, you, you could do more than 20. Or, do you know what is 20? Like, should we start with 10? Um, and of course, it's also my gift to get other players to help you. So, like, it's helpful when you coach people like, you know, Tom Curry or Mark Smith, and they're just great humans and they want to help other people get better. Because I also think there's a huge value in peer to peer coaching. Probably the, my favorite example we just uh, had a Sedba camp, and Hugo turned up from Switzerland and he's going to rugby school, which is ironic because he's never seen a game of rugby in his life. He's never played it. And um, and we just said to the lads, look, secret mission. Hugo has the best week ever. 
when his parents turn up, they can't believe that he's only played rugby for four days. Who's up for it? And they got the salt, pepper, and everything out. They're practicing, you know, they're doing the tactics with the, with the salt peppers. They're doing the uh, technical stuff right around the back of the boarding house, like every possible minute. And that is, again, like Hugo's going to go away and he's going to be really excited to go and do some more of his own learning. Like, so I like challenges. I know some people have a poor relationship with that word. I have quite a poor relationship with the word technical, if I'm brutally honest. I don't like the word. I think people think it's one fixed way of doing something, and I don't think it is. I think it's skill. I think it's actions or skill. Um, but, like, so that peer-to-peer stuff for me is, is vital in this as well. I think after we had the conversation with Mark um, in the last season, it was one of the ones where actually... What he's talking about is around that learning environment is, is really empowering. He really wants you to get it to do it. But actually, it's also for you to do it new, to change the way that you've been doing it is actually really, really difficult. You know, I, I, I said to, I listened to Harrison actually, where he just like, I need Mark with me for like a week to knock the bad habits out of me. Um, and I suppose a lot of it that you're talking about is the type of the, the coaching environment that we then create. So as an, as an example, we had um, Alison and Anna in the season looking at coaching environment and what she was doing with the the Netherlands at the time. And she was talking about how it was, um, they wanted to do the, the most basic, simple parts of the game and just do the really, really well basic their training sessions so they could do them really well, but at speed. And that was one of the key things that they wanted to do. But she recognised what you said earlier in terms of it's easy for her at that level because she's got the top players in the country to easy. work with. She can do that. So there's a long way, one word answer is obviously with a lot of the coaches from a rugby perspective, whether it be DPP or club coaches, they're obviously to volunteer workforce to, a, to, a, to, a, to an extent. How can we um, empower them or support them to create these type of coaching environments earlier so that they're more comfortable to... To, to put all this into practice? Because if we get this right at, at the right age, then we are going to be seeing better players coming through that are more confident to do a lot of these things. But I suppose how well as, as educators are we doing that now? What, do, what could we do differently and what could coaches take away to start putting this into practice? There was a lot there. There's a lot there. I think I've kicked a big rock over, but I think it's an interesting discussion. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Well, let me just imagine if I was like running a DPP centre. So maybe that's a good thought experiment here. Um, I would start by knowing every kid. I would like, when uh, I coached at Mac once, one of the dads said, I said, oh, you know, and this and this. And he said, did you, did my son give you, uh, give you my pin number? Because he gave you everything else. And I was like, yeah, but I need to know all that stuff. I want to coach you. So, like, how does he want feedback? What motivates him? What got him into rugby? Like, what's his biggest fear in the game of rugby? What does he think his super strength is? Like, where does he get confidence from? Like, whatever it might be. I, I, I think that stuff's helpful. What's your journey so far? What coaching experiences have you had? Maybe, like, have a bit of a sense around where they are through maturation and all that stuff um, is vital because I think of it as individuals, quite frankly. So I ask the question, what one thing a lot? What one thing could you share with me that helped me coach you better? A 15-year-old girl. Rusty, you're going to have to be patient with me. Um, I'm not as skillful as everyone else. In order to belong, you're going to have to be really patient. That is really helpful. Thank you. I love it. Um, 
Then I would probably have a series of games that mean the coaches don't have to spend ages thinking about the activity. Like well-designed games. I have one game, my 50-22 game, that I played for two whole days in Madrid. Like the kids loved it. They were telling the parents to pick them up late so they could keep playing it. And we just played it again in, um, in uh, Dubai. And uh, again, kids were like, uh, we've told our parents to pick us up late. I'm like, we've been playing this game for like a day and a half. I know, Rusty, we love it. So, like, I would have really well-designed practices that then the coaches and probably give them some nudges around their options, around size of pitch, ball feed, all that stuff. And then I would focus on craft. So, and I would focus on co sorry, two things, co-coaching and craft. Without that, we won't get good interactions. So, like... We need to understand, like, if, if us three are coaching together, like, who's going to be hanging out with the kids that need the most support? Who's going to be perhaps stretching the best? Because we don't want all three of us to be coaching the best players. That's not helpful. I was just saying yesterday to a Spanish teacher, imagine if you had, like, another teacher in your classroom and two of you just spoke to the kids that were good at Spanish. I think you'd lose your job. Like, and, and that's happening a lot in sport. So I was at a hockey session a few weeks ago and, and, the, and, the, and, and there was a game where the kids had the option of like leaving and then being unlocked to come back in. I thought it was a cool session. But the kids that were currently not as good as the others, so two of them, they're not stupid. They weren't joining the session. And they probably need to join the session more than most. So I would probably like think a lot about co-coaching. I would probably have some co-coaching cards that we uh, allow us to like bank to fulfill different roles as coaches, but probably to have clarity in what we're doing and probably where we're looking. So if there's three of us, like we haven't even spoken about off the ball skills, like be off the ball is 95% of the game. Like, so we need to be able to understand like where to stand, what to look for, how to share information, all that's it's like vital. So probably one of us is going to be in charge of off the ball. Let's say it's Chris. Now, I know that I am pretty good at stretching the best. And I'm probably good at supporting the people. So I might go, Harrison, mate, could you like, could you be in charge of the middle of the bell curve, please? Because Rusty's not even going to know they were in the session, quite frankly. Um, because I am immediately thinking, and there's some people here I need to rescue. And there's some people that I'm thinking, I need to stretch these people, otherwise they're going to get bored. So I would focus a lot on co-coaching. <clears throat> I would then focus on the craft of coaching. So I would be thinking about what coaching skills are going to allow us to develop individuals. And I would probably spend a bit of time going, let's imagine, so let's pre-mortem. We, we know what we're going to see in tomorrow's session. We're going to see the big kid who can't pass. We're going to see the little skillful kid who's a bit scared of combat. We're going to see that really quick kid who's never had the pass or kick, but is scoring 20 tries a match for his club and his coaches think he's the best thing since sliced bread. Like, okay, what are they, what are we going to do with those type of players? What's the stuff? What are the options? I would be talking about options all the time. And I would, and I would be like, I think I would set some coach challenges around that. So, so what I've heard is, Chris, like, you know, you're going to spend a bit of time working with the kids that are not that good off ball. And so your, your, your goal is to use four freezes really effectively to develop their awareness. Uh, what I think I've heard, Harrison, is that you're going to work with some of the kids that might, when they leave the huddle, move towards the edge and might not get as many touches. So how's about you think about using a second ball or maybe they, they do some challenges with you 
uh, they set some challenges for themselves that like will allow them to progress. So in short, that's the stuff I would think about, but I'm always thinking about the individual and I'm not saying this is easy. So probably the starkest feedback I've had, I did a session at Henley and there's about 40 kids. So I was like jumping between stuff and, um, and trying to organize it and organize it with the coaches. And after 40 minutes, I said, put your hand up if you think I've had a really meaningful interaction with you. And seven kids put their hand up. And I was trying really hard. Like, so, like getting on top of our co-coaching, knowing the kids, the kids being in charge of their own developments are probably turning up with some challenges that they want to, like, achieve themselves and then coming to me and going, Rusty, can you help me with this? Is a different interaction and probably easier than me trying to go, I need something to think about to help this kid here. They generally know. And we could, of course, go, today's challenge is around your super strength. I want everyone to write down like a challenge that's going to develop their super strength even more. Or we might go, today's challenge is around something you find really hard. Like I want everyone to do that. And you can you can choose mild, medium, or spice. Again, I would I think choices is super important in coaching. Um, we could do it better. Um, I think I would try and like, yeah, and I think every day will be coach development day. So what, what do I see? I see a lot of, you know, people stressing about the practice design, take that away from people. In the same way, when I go to club land, I see people stressing about scrimmaging when the kids have to start scrimmaging. Um, I see people stressing on the wrong stuff, not talking about individuals enough. Like I would base a lot of my coach development around individuals and examples of and what if and pre-morteming sessions. Well, just as a as an example, then, so say you were you were looking at a, a DPP program then, and you were sort of managing that, or you were creating like a, a program that's just used under fourteen as an example. Would you pick the the theme and maybe uh, some of the practice design for that session and then challenge the coaches that would be delivering it with the stuff you've just talked about there. So they would then be, rather than worrying about, you've given them the session sort of stuff they can get their head around, but then you're giving them some actual detail around how they can develop themselves as coaches through that, right? You're going to be looking at, because I think co-coaching is something that's that's under um underdeveloped in the when we do coach education when i've done level ones level twos and the and we'll be coaching award in the past co-coaching is something that i think we've supported coach with enough because that is an important skill the amount of sessions you go to where you see one person leading and then about another four stood on the sideline that actually aren't contributing anything i don't know what they want to contribute because then you don't want the risk of mismatching no one's got an, a detail of what that role is so i suppose you know how do you best effectively to develop each individual if you know we're talking about DPP here, but it could be the same for any club. You know, if you've got the session design, is it all about then how you're tasking the coaches to deliver that individually, rather than actually focusing on the content of what is being delivered? Yeah, and look in football, it's one coach leading five doing QPUPs often. Um, that's the rule around co-coaching. Um, but it might be that we go like Chris, you're going to lead the game, you're going to run the game, you're in charge of adaptations of the game. We are going to feed in if we think there's anything that's... So you might go, look, um, 
little Johnny is, you know, or little Sarah isn't getting enough opportunities to catch high balls. So if we could incentivize a bit more points on kicking, then we'd probably get some more kicking. Or think about how you introduce your second ball. You know, you could give a high ball to that person and they'll get some goes in it. So so I, I think like it's, and again, when I go back to the Henley session, it is hard to coach individuals if you're running a session. It's so hard. Like you're like, so much information going on. So I think I would go up. One of us is going to do that. And the reality of DPP sessions is there are a lot of coaches there often. I think we would also, and again, same as with the players, the coaches would be like driving their own development. Like, cool, like share your IDP. What's the, what's the one thing off your IDP you're going to work on today? And we're going to just kind of chat about it beforehand and we're going to reflect upon it at the end. We think that's important. Like, coach, I think it's important that coaching player development happens alongside. And we might choose, again, it's an option, isn't it? We might go, players, just so you know, this is the stuff the coaches are working on. If you can give them some feedback during the session, that would be amazing. Um, it's their first time of doing it, so maybe catch them doing stuff well. We'll save all the bad stuff for next time. So, again, you have an option, don't you? If you share that information with the players, it's, like, really powerful, and you'll get... They'll be pretty honest with you, won't you? Now, that might not be day one in the DPP. You might be still trying to get to know each other. But essentially, yeah, I think I would... like. Often we... As you said, like, one person is running the game, and the other people are like, we're not maximising coaching opportunities. What I'm also not saying is that, you know, that we have this kind of coaches like a pack of wolves like speaking to the kids all the time and you know what I mean like putting stress on them but actually it, it might be that we signpost like cool today's session's this you've all got your challenges there's five coaches around the pitch if at any point you need a clue or a bit of help or you want to go and do some individual practice grab the coach you think you can help lead the most again like we've signposted some them to you interactions now of course it is our gift to go Johnny, I've noticed something, like, if you want to know what it is, come and grab me. Again, my preference would be to give that person the option. I've seen it done really well by Elliot uh, Wilson at uh, Worcestershire Cricket. He went, look, lads, three nets, three games. You choose your, your um, challenge level. It's mild, medium, or spicy. In the first instance, if you have a problem, you go to a teammate. In the second instance, you go to us. And if the kids were brilliant at, like, helping each other with problems, then some players came to coaches and then a couple of times the coaches went just so you know uh, I've noticed um, I've noticed something for you two that might be helpful and, and and Elliot did that with two kids at the same time one of them came immediately one of them came 40 minutes later and I said oh how come you came 40 minutes later and he said oh because I was trying to work out what it was that Elliot had noticed and I was like thinking about it a lot I thought that was quite cool like that he was going to go away and it was actually making him think about some stuff and of course some people want you know don't want their feedback immediately they might want to you know and some do so I asked Marcus Smith one thing to help me coach you better he said give me more feedback in the moment I asked a, a girl at Christ Hospital share one thing with me that'll help me coach you better she said everyone thinks I want feedback on my own I don't I want it in front of the group it's like that's helpful she said well of course it's helpful because, like, um, if, I'm, if I'm working on something, it's helpful for everyone else to know. If I've got strength, it's helpful for everyone else to know. That, that, oh, that's a very, very clever way of thinking. And it reminds me of um, with, uh, we, the episode we had with um, Andrew Abraham last week, and he said that he kept asking his son, what's, you know, what's the best kind of feedback? 
and actually the best kind of feedback is the feedback they ask for. So I, yeah. I like I, I like that. You know, that's because that's that means they're they're invested, and it's quite interesting that story. Um, Andy's uh, class, yeah. then, isn't he? Because he's like uh, coaching Freddie and the young Otley Zebras, and uh, he's got all the knowledge, and of course he's like translating it onto the pitch and working out, you know, options. And I think it's amazing. Like, it's brilliant. Yeah, oh, it is. It is. It's um, yeah, mind blowing some of it, and it's. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's, uh, that's, I think that's what Andy was, um, Andy's really good at. But no, I think it's, um, yeah, I've, yeah, it's, I've learned a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of things I want to go out and, and apply in my own environment. I think, like Chris said there, and I think for us as coaches, about being brave, you know, change, you know, and uh, change doesn't happen overnight. Um, and we, you know, we, we'll keep asking the players to become, you know, adaptable and, you know, but we've got our, we've got, we've got, that's got to be required for us as coaches as well. And actually, sometimes there's nothing wrong with not knowing the answers and letting, and I think the RFU refer to it as being in the learning pit and sometimes, you know, getting in there with the player and actually trying to figure out solutions and actually getting them to take the lead on it can actually be more profound than, than us just giving the answers all the time. Yeah, I like the word clues. Like, if you want a clue, come and find me. Um, and again, like, just to build on what you said, like, we're just adding coaching options, aren't we? Like one option is that the players come to us for feedback. Another option is we give it to them. Another option is we ask permission before we give it to them. Like another option is that we, like we, we scale or we use a, a metaphor or an analogy. Like they're all options. And I guess, like where do you, again, that probably to build on your question as well, Chris, like I think like player and coach development should be happening alongside, like the DPP should be a thriving hub of, coaches and I think it is in most places to be honest developing themselves I think it is like because people often are in their club land or their schools and there's some stuff there and actually you go to the DPP slightly different group of players you, you might see them less often so if you mess up it's it's less of an issue and I think like with with good ACDOs and people around there obviously got people like Dicko up in up in Yorkshire and Jack Pat down at London Irish and loads of people who are doing great work to support those coaches in the DPP. I think it is the place where you can go and try some stuff, get a couple of bits wrong, throw a couple of pieces of paper in the bin. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's how we all, like, that's how we all get better, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Well, so I think we have to, uh, I, I could keep going again for another hour or so, but uh, you, you have said you've got to get off to London and I've got to get off to, uh, to do the school run. So uh, it, it's been absolute pleasure chatting to you. There's been... Loads of stuff there that I think a lot of coaches will um, take away and, and, and research, want to research further. And, and uh, yeah, thank you for uh, giving up your time and coming on. It's a pleasure. Thanks, fellas. Thought you can say you had to rush off to tidy the, uh, the, the room that you're in. I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> Cheers, fellas. Have an awesome day. Thank well, you. So we better uh, make this uh, review quite quick because apparently I've got an office I need to go and clean. But um, another, another brilliant... Uh, guest who I think has left a lot of um, learning moments for coaches uh, in this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you've got a hell of a hell of a job cleaning that office. I can't believe we finally had a guest that's called you out on it. Um, <laughs> no, I think there's a, yeah, I thought it was a, a cracking episode. I think it gives a real insight into um, into the work that um, Rusty does, and and uh, yeah, it's just you know he's 
you talk about being a pioneer of uh, of innovation, and we almost had it within that episode itself as well. Um, so I thought, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of key takeaways, and once again, I think you can agree we've got plenty of notes that we've that we've stolen that I'm going to implement in my own environments, and I'm hoping like there should be lots in there for other coaches to listen to and use as well. Yeah, again on that though, Matt, I, I think we've touched on it, and I've I, we spoke about it before about the stuff with Mark Bennett is this stuff is is really really good, and it will help develop players, but actually it's hard for when you first start doing it, you, you need to be consistent. If, if this is the approach you're going to go down, you have to be consistent with it. And you have to, it, will, it will probably be tiresome to start with because of the amount of probably extra work off field that you'd have to do to get in line, to be able to make sure you're doing it effectively. And you are going to get it wrong. You are going to trip up. But actually, if, if coaches started to do this through the pathway, we'd start seeing better players sort of on field with all them different things that link to cards, the awareness, the decision-making, the level of creative, that will be better. And I, and I think, um, you know, if, if you are going to do it, you, you've got to commit to it for it to be able to work. Yeah. And I, I think the, the kind of the main kind of, the one that really stands out for me across that, that, that whole hour is that, you know, we're looking to develop skillful and adaptable players. Now we're looking to every element of the pathway. You know, for Mark, like me, it's you know, it's ensuring that we can do that from under sixes all the way up into adult rugby. Because even in adult rugby, you're going to find yourself going to different environments. You're going to find yourself, you know, in scenarios within a game that you've never experienced before. Like he gave the example around, you know, uh, Fiji in the sevens in the sevens in the Commonwealth Games. You know, in the semi-finals, you know, they're down to five in extra time they've already defended for a minute with, with five men that's 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 an experience that they're never going to experience again well yeah highly unlikely and uh, actually in rugby and in any sport you have you, you're going to have those you're going to have those moments in which you know tactically these scenarios play out and we've got to be able to create tactically we're going to be able to create players who are both skillful from i think you referred to it as um uh, skill and uh, an action from a technical and tactical standpoint, and that's and that's and that's and that's really hard. I know, and like, like you know, like, like I said at the end there, it's you know we've got to be we have to make sure we're doing that as coaches as well. You know, that we're being adaptable. We can adapt to the environment. We can adapt to, and this is where it's brilliant. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. What is the one thing? Um, what's the one thing you want from me that can help you help me make a, uh, help me become a better coach for you? Um, I think he asked, he asked them and, uh, and actually hearing those different things and actually individualising a lot of it is what's going to make players more more tactically adaptable yeah yeah well because he touched on that point around that it's spirit and that you, you can't coach everyone everything it, it's, you, it, there's just too much variables for you to be able to, to look at but you know I think from a, a, a player development perspective whether that's club whether that's DPP everything I got from sort of Rusty there was it was the individual first and it was how they link to everyone of that awareness and decision-making. And, you know, I really like this idea of, you know, the, every, when you're coaching, especially in the major groups, you've got to be learning as well. What is your action plan? What are you trying to go for it? So many times as coaches, we put down what the session objective is, but what actually what is our objective as a coach in terms of the skills that we want to develop to bring this to life? You know, as well as saying that what one thing could help me to coach you better, well, what 
what actually do I need to, how do I then put that into practice? Because again, if you've got 22 players, you're asking, you can have 22 different things there that you've got to be aware of. So how are then are you using that with the other coaches to, to bring that to life? Um, how are you doing the stuff that we, we kind of touched on it? I'm turning my whiteboard. We've got a lot of Mark stuff written on my whiteboard from, from the last stuff to make me try and make sure I implement it. But it's that stuff of um, teammate first, then coaches, you know, in terms of giving feedback. Are you going to your group first to then get, and then you go to the feedback from the coaches, the next option? Um, but then even, but even that idea around clues, even that idea around, um, oh, oh, I've noticed something come to me when, when, when you want to know what it is. And actually hearing that story of the, you know, one lad coming, coming away immediately wanting feedback. Another lad actually went away 40 minutes. It took for him to try and work out what the coach had noticed. I think that's, that's, that's actually, I think that's brilliant, you know, because you're really beginning to, you're challenging, some, some of those players were stated a challenge of, right, I want to try and work out what they've noticed and I want to try and rectify it because, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, most human beings are instinctively going to go with, what they've noticed something that I'm doing wrong rather than, you know, noticing that doing right. So they're ultimately going to go and think, and that might be the complete wrong wrong way, but that's why for us is our coaching craft. I think he summarised it now, we have two ways we're going to do it, coaching craft and co-coaching. But our, our coaching craft is like, no, I've noticed what these things are doing quite, you know, quite well. How else can we, well, I want, I want you, how can we do it more often? And then you can almost set the challenges within the session itself. I know that you spoke around it before, um, but I thought that was yeah, just, just around the idea of clues and actually saying, not actually giving all the feedback straight away and actually it really really nicely back to what and Andy said last week the best feedback is the feedback they ask for, now I'm not going to give you it, if you want it come and offer it, if you can work it out and come to me and say well I think I know what you I think I know what you saw now <laughs> amazing, that's you actively thinking about your game in the moment, which is what a game of rugby is, isn't it? Or a game of sport, it's any sport. Well, that, that's when we're making more awareness, more decision-making, more, we're giving, they, they're going to be more informed when they get onto the field because the, the, the problem solved themselves. It goes back to kind of what Ben Ryan said, is that as coaches, we should be aiming to making ourselves redundant. Um, and yeah. that's, what we should, that's, that's what we should be doing. We should be putting more, but I think that is hard in itself because... Uh, a, a lot of it comes down to having same as what we, what I spoke about with the when we had Kev Till on around that athletic development is a lot of the I don't think a lot of that is focused because of coaches' confidence to be able to deliver it. I think sometimes coaches are more restrained from giving ownership to the players because they don't fully understand the game themselves. Therefore, they wouldn't be able to to if the player then shows that they've got a more su superior or better decision making that it's a different skill then to be able to get that information from the player because you, you don't have to know everything as a coach. You know, I don't, I don't say that I know absolutely everything because I don't. You, players will know more. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> but but if, it's how you bring that conversation to life with the players and that comes through listening, which he said was an important skill, and then actually the type of questions that we use to get that information from us, if, if a player does disagree with you, how does that go? Is it you then dictating to them that they do it your way or not? Or is it a, then a conversation and a discussion about how you're then going to implement it? Which I think is, this is how we'll make better players, speaking about what we spoke about in the past, about decision-making and, and how to, you know, win a game of rugby. 
they're going to be more informed of that if we use the opportunities to have these conversations than just tell players, no, this is how you're doing it because it's my rules and that's what we're doing. Oh, 100%. But that comes back to just being being brave and understanding your role as a coach. Now, our role as a coach isn't to have all the answers sometimes. It's actually to challenge understanding of the players, first and foremost, because they're the players, the participants in, in, any, in any sport you're working in, are they the ones that are going to go out and perform the skill in, in, in performance environments? Now, for us as coaches, right, do they understand why they're doing it or what they're doing? And how they're going to do it, and how they're going to overcome some of these adversities. But that means that we've got to be brave as coaches and actually put the interests and the needs of the players first before before ourselves. And once again, I think you know he spoke about it. Rusty spoke about it a lot towards the end of that episode, and it goes back to kind of every coach that we've spoken to, every practitioner, understand our who. It's the it's the crux of every bit of coaching. Understanding our who, then that dictates how much what and and, and how we implement our coaching craft and uh, and coaching methods. I think we should get this on t-shirts. <laughs> it's the message we always come back to. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but but it is it is, and I think that's I think the more I kind of speak to coaches. Um, you know, I know that you know coaches have you know coaches I've not met before. Of, of, and when I when I do meet them for the first time, sometimes they're fans of the pod and they're, and they've already heard. But it, it the conversation always comes back to like who are you coaching, and because that, that dictates everything that we do. You know, we we're, we're telling the players we're adaptable. We need to be adaptable as coaches because we don't know who we're going to. We don't like especially for us in our environments. You've got a new intake of 150 players each year. I have a new take, a new intake of fifty percent of fifty percent of my squad leaves every year, and a new fifty percent comes in. I'm coaching up a completely different set of group of people, and I I can't coach them the same the same way as I did previous years because they're different human beings. They learn differently, and actually, I think yeah, I probably will steal that from Rusty. But that that question of um, what what one thing you want from me to help coach you better is that it's something I'm going to steal. I, and I agree. I agree. I think it, it's I that, that's what I've got a lot of one to ones coming up as well the next week, and definitely what I'm out uh, with. You know, what can, what, what one thing do I need to know and get to know these lads a little bit better? Um, you know, it, it is, it's especially tough in this environment when, you know, you're in the situation that we are where, you know, we, we're, we're struggling. We've, we've not really won a game at the moment. It's actually getting to know the players and find out how to sort of build them up and, and get the best out of them and the role that you then play in that as a coach it's not always about just tech and tack stuff it is more about the individual and what they can do to bring that overall cog within the team to be better so there was uh, lots there I'm uh, quite self-conscious about the state of this office so I'm going to quickly clean this before I nip out and do a score run uh, <laughs> I'm hoping I'm taking it away from today uh so uh we'll be we'll be out uh, in two weeks time uh so we've we've covered our little bit now looking at the athletic development psychosocial behavior and technical and tactical uh we're now going to be looking about what that looks like in each environment so we're um we've got a, an exciting string of episodes coming up sort of delving in that in more detail uh charlie's got all of our social media media details at the end uh make sure you uh give us a follow give us a like 
um, by all means, uh, send us some feedback. Um, and we will see you next time. Cheers for listening. Don't forget to join in the discussion at Big Breakdown HQ on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.